Good evening, everybody. Um, so, get rid of this. Um, I was going to say, uh, I talked to Pastor Greg. I think this week's probably going to be our last week. We were slated to go 10. This is week 8, but we got a late start, so technically this is week 9. And then uh, I've, after tonight, I'm going to cover most of like kind of what I wanted to cover for the New Testament. So there's some other, there's a bunch more apologetic arguments and stuff, but some of them kind of get, I was thinking about doing the moral argument, but it gets kind of philosophical. And I really wanted to kind of stay central to the New Testament and talk about that. So uh, after talking with Pastor Greg, I think this is probably going to go ahead and be our, our last apologetics week. So, um, but today um, we're going to talk about the divinity of Christ um, and how we can understand it and how we, um, as moderns, can look at it and see Jesus's claims to divinity. Uh, but before that, let's go ahead and pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord. Uh, we thank you for this day. Lord, please bless our uh, uh, last time together here. Uh, please just help us to see your truth and your claims to divinity, Lord. Help us to understand it and to be able to explain it to people because there are people out there who uh, deny that you even claim to be God, uh, Jesus. So it's it's one of those things. There's a, there's a lot of different incorrect views and even heretical views by those that claim to be Christians. Uh, so help us just to examine this and just help your truth to shine through. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so like I said, we're going to be looking at Jesus' claims to divinity, uh, mainly through the, uh, the New Testament, specifically the Gospels. Now there's other claims like in Colossians, um, Paul says that Jesus created everything, anything that was created in uh, either seen or in, visible or invisible was created by him. There's other uh, claims to Jesus's divinity outside of the Gospels, but we're just going to mainly focus on the Gospels today. Um, so we had, there's very explicit claims to Jesus's divinity, like right John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, but oftentimes, uh, there's less explicit claims to Jesus's divinity. And oftentimes, uh, these less explicit claims really pull on a couple different things. Like we as moderns, we want Jesus to go, I'm God. But the thing is, is Jesus was pulling on different, one, language threads, which are going to kind of talk on this a little bit. Langu he's pulling on usage of language, but two, um, biblical theology threads or threads in the Old Testament um, and ideas and concepts that the ancient Jewish people had in their heads of uh, certain figures, divine figures, that he was that he was that he was pulling on so we kind of miss it if we don't understand these things um, and so that's what we're going to kind of mainly focus on uh, how we can how we can talk to people because uh, if you've ever had a Jehovah Witness come to your door you you know they, they don't come to my house anymore but um, but to be able to show them people in the text what Jesus is doing with his words um, and so it, it's important to understand, uh, to get Jesus's divinity right, to understand that he's God, not only for our salvation and atonement, you know, because it's, it's he who saves us, it's God who saves us, but also like what I talked about Jehovah's Witnesses, they, 
they change any what you call Christological passage in the Bible, like passages that speak to Jesus's divinity, they change it. Like John 1.1, 1, 1, they say, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was a God. So, so it's like, like a little G God. So they do all kinds of stuff. And really, Jehovah Witnesses go back to the Arian heresy, which was a second century, third, uh, second century AD, third century AD uh, heresy within the church. Um, also, you'll hear people who will try to boil Jesus down to merely just a spiritual, a good spiritual leader, or, you know, he, he had like good axioms and good sayings and stuff like that, uh, but they don't claim that he's divine. And we're going to, at the end of that, we're going to see why that doesn't, that doesn't work either. <clears throat> so before we get started, we need to understand the name of God, at least the name of God as the Hebrews understood it, and its usage through history. Um, and we're going to do this mainly through tracing through uh, three key words, um, and I'm going to go through this again. But the top, this is this is Hebrew, so actually you read it this way. Uh, but Yahweh, then the word Adonai, and the Greek word Kyrios. This is the uh, word often translated as Jehovah or Jehovah, and we'll touch on that. It's not necessarily, it's kind of pertinent, but it's it's interesting to see because this falls right in line with what we're going to talk about here. So, so the first word up top is Yahweh. Uh, you, you'll sometimes hear this referred to as the Tetragrammaton because there's four, there's four letters. Yod, Hey, Wow, Hey. So Yod, Hey, Wow, Hey. This is actually one letter, this funky looking thing. That's the Hey. So um, this is first, we first see this word used in the Old Testament in Exodus 3, 13 to 14. Okay, this is the burning bush scene and God reveals himself to Moses and Moses is asking God, well, who do I, who do I tell Israel? Who do I tell them that you are? And so I'll go ahead and read the passage. Then Moses said to God, if I came or if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent, me, has sent me to you. So I am is what, uh, how you would translate Yahweh. Okay. And so Yahweh is the personal name of the God of Israel. And I'll, I'll mention this later, but anytime that you go and you look in your Old Testament, and you see capital L-O-R-D, and we'll, I'll show you how we get there. Actually, in the in the Hebrew, it's it's Yahweh. It's this four-letter, this tetragrammaton is what it's called. Um, also, it's important to note that ancient Hebrew didn't have what's called vowel points. Okay, so in this word Adonai, you see these like two dots in this dash, and this dot here, and this like T-looking thing. Those are what are called vowel points. So originally, ancient Hebrew didn't have vowels. So this was when, like when Moses was given the name, it would have it would have been without vowel points. It would have been Yahweh. Okay, so Yahweh means the big takeaway is Yahweh means I am, or I am that I am, or I am who I am. Okay. So the next word that we're going to cover is Adonai, which this is Adonai here. Now. 
In the Jewish tradition, the true name of God, Yahweh, was considered sacred and revered. Okay. If you are interested in this, there's this whole thing called the name theology, like how the name Yahweh actually carried his weight because he Jesus or God put his name in. There's all kinds of points in the Old Testament where where God put his name into something, and it kind of carries. So it, like he in the in the temple and all this kind of stuff. Um, but it was a, the name Yahweh was a sacred name. Okay. Now. It was so sacred, and they also really kind of, some people say that they started to take the third uh, commandment of not taking the Lord thy God's name in vain. They really started to not actually even say the name Yahweh, okay? And so in doing, they would say Adonai in its place. Um, and so this was the case even in the Jewish synagogues. So they would read what was written, and when they would come to Yahweh, they wouldn't say, they started to not even say Yahweh. They would say Adonai in its place. Um, and if anybody has watched uh, The Chosen, they kind of pick up on this a little bit and they'll say Adonai, Adonai. They won't say the name Yahweh. Okay. So this leads us to, so Yahweh or Adonai just simply means Lord. Okay. Now this leads us to our next um, word here. This is, would be translated as Jehovah or Jehovah. Um, so that's if we read it straight through. But really, um, the, in Hebrew studies, there's what's called Ketev Kareh, or K-E-T-I-V-Q-U, or sorry, Q-E-R-E, which this is just a fancy say of, way of saying what is written, what is read, okay? So in the scrolls, they started to place um, they started to do this. What they did was, if you look, these four main letters here is the same as the same four letters here. So what they did was, is they took these vowel points for Adonai and put them on the tetragrammaton. So when they would be reading, so it would remind them to say Adonai. So in the synagogue, the Ketev, or what was written, was, was Yahweh. It was always Yahweh. It was always I Am. And that was the name that God, that was passed down. Now, what was said, or the Kare, uh, was Adonai. That was what was said aloud. So, all they really did was they, they just did the vowel points over Yahweh. Okay? And again, Adonai means Lord. So when they started to translate it, Jerome translated the Latin Vulgate, he saw this and he translated as Jehovah or Jehovah. But that wasn't actually, that's actually not what it was. It was, it was, it was always Yahweh. Okay. So this, this, like I said, this one's, it's kind of, it's interesting to understand. But uh, really the main, the main point that we're going to focus on is, is Lord and I am. Okay. So, looking forward, so this was, a, this was a common thing that they would have, they would, they would write this, and it was a merging of Yahweh and Adonai, and I, when you actually see it in like, if you're curious, actually go look at the font, like, because my handwriting's not that great, we're a little low tech right now. Um, so this, this was a, a common practice, all right, 
was to say Lord or Adonai. All right. And so what you have then is this practice happening and then there's this thing called the Septuagint. Now it's also referred to as the LXX. You'll see it like in footnotes in your Bible, but it's a, what it is, it's a, a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. This happened in 285 to 247 BC. The original Hebrew texts were translated into Greek. The translation is the Septuagint. Um, this was mainly done because the, the common language or the, ling the lingua franca was actually Koine Greek. Um, you, had, you had what they called diaspora Greek, uh, Hebrews, people who didn't live in Jerusalem or live in Israel that were around the Mediterranean that only spoke Greek. So in a, the Jewish community translated the Hebrew into Greek to allow Hebrews around the Mediterranean and around the, the known world to be able to read the Hebrew Bible. Now, when, when they translated uh, the, from the Hebrew and they came to Yahweh, because it's in keeping with the, the concept of not saying the name Yahweh, instead of when it came to the Greek, they wrote Kyrios in the place of Yahweh. And that's why, this is why, like when you open your your Old Testament now, and you see capital L-O-R-D, that's something that's carried over from this whole, this whole thing, right? So when they translated it into um, Greek, when they translated the Hebrew Bible into Greek, they used the word kurios, which means Lord. So this is important and it's significant because Jesus is often, it's, can you read, can you read? Um, so it's, it's significant because when all throughout the, the New Testament and the Gospels, you'll hear Jesus referred to as Lord, okay? Now, not every instance of, of the usage of, the, of Jesus being called Lord is a claim or reference to divinity, as Lord could also be something akin to like Sir. However, there are, there are numerous places where Jesus is called Lord, and it's a direct claim or reference to his divinity, because remember, Adonai, they would use the name Adonai, Lord, and then in the, in the Greek, because the New Testament's written in Greek, Kyrios, they would call him Kyrios, they would call him Lord. There are places where when they say this, it is a direct reference back to the divine name of Yahweh, which is the God of the Old Testament, the God of Israel. Okay. Not every time, and I'm going to, further down, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an example of one of them, but not every time it, it not every time they call him Lord, there, it's a claim to divinity, but it, there are specific times where it is. So that's, that's one thing that when people are like, well, they didn't ever, you know, call him God, like his disciples never called him. Well, they called him the Lord, and we're going to look at one here in a minute. But that's a, that's a direct reference back, and they would have, in that culture, where they didn't go around calling God Yahweh, they would go around calling him Adonai, just like if you go watch The Chosen, they pick on it, up on it pretty well. You have these Sadducees and scribes call, going around saying, calling Yahweh Adonai. So there, this is a, there's places where the usage of Lord is actually claimed to Jesus' divinity. So before I go any further, is there any questions about that?
Yeah. No, so sorry. So you see this little dot up here? So that's called a holum. That's a that's like an O sound. So that's from Adonai. You see here, there's a dot, dot here. And this is like Pathak and then Pathak Hatuf. Like they make the same sound. So it's, you know, there's like minor linguistic differences. But this is this is the vowel on at or on uh oh you mean between so no at there's no yeah no between Adonai and Yahweh Adonai has completely different this is Aleph Resh Dalit oh yeah so between between Yehovah and Yahweh the only difference is these vowel points this this and this, which is the vowel points from Adonai here, here, and here. So they took those vowel points from Adonai and put them on Yahweh, which is where you get Yah. And if you look, you have, here's the tetragrammaton, ready? The Yah, Ha, and this is, this is the V, the V and the W are kind of, they get, modern it's v actually ancient it was actually a w sound so you have here the y h v slash w h which is what this is yahweh and then you have the 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 vowel sounds the pathak the ah the holum which is an o sound and then another longer a sound with the i can't remember what that stinking vowel is called so you can use that's so Yehovah, and I can write it bigger if you want, but yeah, so between Yehovah and Yahweh, the, these are the vowel points. And so that's what I was saying is that, so when they say what was written, what was written and what was always the name of God was Yahweh, which is, this is Yod, Hey, Wow, Hey. This is the tetragrammaton right here, okay? So that was what was written, but what was said was Adonai, and they put those vowel points there for them to remember when they're in the synagogue reading to say Adonai and not say Yahweh. Okay. Because of the sacred nature of the name Yahweh. Because they, they, do, they wouldn't go around saying it. So it was just, it became, a, it became a practice to refer to the name, refer to God as Adonai, to refer to God as Lord, because the, the name Yahweh was that was like God's personal name. Like, and it was so, it was such, there's this whole, there's this whole big thing called like name theology and all this stuff that goes into this. But it was this like, it was this sacred thing. And like, even like usage of it was such a big deal. So they, yeah. So between, the only difference between Yahweh, Yahweh and Yehovah is the vowel points from Adonai. Those three vowels are then put on, on top of that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, well, because it, kind of, it goes back to, so there's what's called the Masoretic text, which the Masoretic texts were about 1000 AD, um, and that's when the vowel points had been established. And so from the ancient usage here with no vowel points of Yahweh there. So there was, 
they'll they'll some people are like well is it Yehovah like so there's this whole like pronunciation kind of, I mean I, I I say this because I mean it doesn't matter it's not like you're you know going to hell because you said Yehovah wrong or something you know but it's 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 to trace that that idea that the Hebrews understood that they didn't say Yahweh that they call, that they said Lord they said Adonai and that's important when we then come to the gospel accounts and they're saying calling Jesus Lord that's not just like there is times where it's like hey sir but there's explicit times where it's like this is a claim to, to Jesus's divinity Mm. Okay. What's the difference again in the Old Testament with the all caps and not all caps? Um, there's, I, it's, I think it's one of those things where it, because it is like, because you'll see it like when you go look up that um, uh, that Exodus reading, yeah. like in the ESV, they'll capitalize it. I think it just like when. No, I just it's a, it's one of those things. It's like, like for example, like w when I would have to write papers and stuff, you're supposed to capitalize. Like if I'm using the personal pronoun his of God of Jesus, you capitalize the H. And so that's one of those things is because it's it is the divine name of God that it's all that's all capitalized, and that's that's that tradition was carried down through to you know capitalizing L O R D in the in the most current translations and stuff. So, but, um, yeah. So any other questions on that? Okay. <clears throat> so, so with that out of the way, under, kind of understanding the, the usage of Yahweh and Lord, you know, kind of being the, the same often in the Hebrew mindset, we're going to now look at Jesus's own claims to divinity. Um, I always, I always find it funny when people say, "Well, Jesus never claimed to be God," um, as because there's this whole idea that like Jesus being God was manufactured after the fact by his disciples. But there is in the Gospels there's direct claims of Jesus making divine claims about himself. Okay, so one. Now keep in your mind, the big part with this one is keep in mind what Yahweh means. It means I am, okay? So I'm going to read a passage. It's John 8, 52 to 59. John 8, 52 to 59. And I quote, um, well, here he's, he's kind of fighting, I think it's with the scribes. Um, I'd have to go back. I, I think he's fighting with the scribes here, but there's this whole back and forth and he's talking about Abraham. And so, uh, Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do, you, who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he had rejoiced that he would see my day. 
he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, because, but Jesus hid himself and went away out of the temple. So again, the main thing I want to draw your attention to is here in verse 58, I am. Now, all the dialogue prior to this had been in past tense, talking about Abraham in the past. Now, here Jesus switches to the present tense. Okay. Now, remember the divine name Yahweh. Remember what it means? It means I am. It's an, it's an active, it's an, why it's such a kind of a profound thing, because it's, it's a, when you think about it, it's a state of existence of always being. I am. He is the I am then, he is the I am then, you know, when Jesus is speaking, the I am in the future, the great I am, right? Here Jesus is claiming to exist, not only just claiming to exist before Abraham, but he's referring referring to himself with what the divine name means, I am. Yahweh directly translated means I am, or I am that I am. So Jesus is referring to himself as I am. He didn't, because he Think about it. If you're speaking in past tense, you go, well, before Abraham was, I was, right? That would linguistically make sense, you know, because past tense, but he's not. He's intentionally switching from the past tense to the present perfect tense and saying, I am. He's doing it because he's making a claim to divinity, which is what Yahweh was. It was the, the, the I am. And if there's any question to this, See what the response was when after, right after he said this, they, and I quote, they picked up stones to try and stone him. Okay, because he referred to himself, he was making a claim to divinity and they were going to try to stone him for it. Okay. Now that's one of the, one of my favorite ones in that regard, but there's also, so Jesus also refers to himself, will refer to Jesus as, um, the Christ or Messiah, which Christ and Messiah actually mean the same thing. Christ, they both mean anointed. One is Christ is Christos, which is the, the Greek. Messiah or Messiah is the Hebrew. They both mean anointed, but it was the, the messianic figure. So they can be used interchangeably. However, Jesus refers to himself more than anything in all the gospels. He refers to himself as the son of man. Okay. So I highlighted, we're kind of going to step away from this a little bit, but I'm going to bring another concept or idea in that we sometimes often miss, and it's this idea of son of man, or what is the son of man? Because it's kind of important, because like I said, Jesus himself refers to himself as the son of man more than anything. Now, some people will claim, and you'll hear them say, well, Jesus... Jesus isn't making a claim to divinity when he calls himself the son of man. He's actually an appeal to his humanity. But that is completely wrong and a a complete misunderstanding of, you know, the Old Testament. So the son of man figure comes from Daniel 7. And this is a divine figure in Daniel 7. Um, And in Daniel 7, kind of the picture is we have this heavenly throne, um, and you have seated on the throne this uh, person that's referred to as the Ancient of Days, which is, which is God the Father, if you will, <clears throat> or Yahweh. 
And in Daniel 7, I'm not going to read all of Daniel 7, but in Daniel 7, it refers to the Ancient of Days, and it says, his, clothe, his clothing was white as snow, and his hair, the hair of his head, like pure wool. If you, you, might, you might catch that. That sounds like something else in the New Testament, but I'll get there in a second. Um, but then we also have this son of man figure, who is then given, in, the, in Daniel 7, he's given dominion, glory, and a kingdom over all the people of the earth. All right? Now, the son of man figure was always seen as a, div- as a divine figure co-equal with God because he rises and sits himself at the right hand of the Father and he's given the dominion and the glory and the power that is due to Yahweh. So it's always within the, the Hebrew mind, the son of man was always a divine figure, right? And so they didn't fully understand what that, under- what that looked like because the progressive revelation nature of the scriptures, they had these ideas and concepts just like they had this idea of Messiah, but they didn't know exactly what that would be. So too with the Son of Man in Daniel 7 who, who puts to rest all the beasts that are trampling on all these nations and stuff, and he, he comes to co-reign and share in the glory of God. Well, who could do that? Who could share in the glory and glory of God other than a divine, a divine person, a divine being, right? So, <clears throat> Jesus refers to himself several times as the Son of Man, all right? Uh, but John, and I mentioned the, the hair white as wool thing, because if there's any question about the, the Son of Man figure being divine, John, in Revelation, pulls on this same idea, this same thread, okay? And I'm going to read this real quick. Revelation 1, 12 to 14 introduces us to the Son of Man. And I quote, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Now, John doesn't sit here and go, the son of man is God. But here he's pulling on the same imagery as Daniel 7. See, in Daniel 7, or Yahweh, that the Ancient of Days was the one who had the hair white like pure wool. But here John is applying that same imagery of what was the Ancient of Days, the description of the Ancient of Days, he's now using it to describe the Son of Man. And why is he doing that? Because he's saying that they're the same thing, that the Son of Man is God. The Son of Man is the Ancient of Days. He's sitting here, John is pulling on this this imagery from Daniel 7 and applying it to the Son of Man in Revelation. So the Son of Man is a divine figure. Now with that understanding of the Son of Man as divine, we can go look at Jesus' referencing himself and see how he's making a claim to divinity. One of the best examples of this is Mark 14, 60-64. So Mark 14, 60-64. And this is when Jesus is on trial before the Sanhedrin. And I'll go ahead and read this. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is, what is it that these men testify against you? But you remained silent and made no answer. Against, again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the, blessed, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said to him, I am. 
and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do you need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. So here Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Not only that, but he says he'll be seated at the right hand of power. Again, sitting at the right hand, being co-equal with God. Now the council knows the Son of Man. They would be familiar with the Son of Man figure in Daniel 7. And they would know its divine claim. And that's why they sentenced him to death. They didn't just blow it off. They sentenced him to death after making this claim of being the Son of Man. Additionally, there's this one. We, don't, we absolutely don't see this because we're not, we're not ancients. But there's actually another claim to Jesus' divinity in that same statement other than the Son of Man. And this one's kind of interesting. Um, it, so he said, Jesus says, the Son of Man will be coming on the clouds of heaven. Right. Now, in the ancient Near East, in that, that culture, there was this idea of there was other nations and their little g-gods, okay, their, their Balaams and stuff. They would always depict them as being riding on the clouds. Now, in the Hebrew mind, there was only one true God that was above all. And to the ancient Hebrew, in their mind, Yahweh was this, what you would call the cloud, this cloud rider figure. Or he would be the one coming out of the clouds or collecting the clouds. That was, that was Yahweh in the Hebrew mindset. So Jesus here is actually claiming that position of Yahweh as being the most high because he's the, I am the son of man. I will be coming on the clouds. He's making a divine claim, not only in the son of man, but in him saying that he is coming on the clouds because that was something in the ancient mindset that the, especially the ancient Hebrew mindset, that that would be Yahweh, that that was, the, that was God that would be coming on the clouds. So before I move on, is there any kind of questions about the son of man and how Jesus makes claims for his divinity using the son of man? Any questions about that? Okay. Now we're going to, those are kind of the two big ones uh, for, for Jesus ma making his claims of divinity. Um, but also, I want to talk about the usage of the word Lord a little bit, and then um, other people, what they, what they said about Jesus, right? So one place I want to look at is Mark 2, 3 to 12. And in this scene, we have the, Jesus healing the paralytic. They lower him down through the, they tear open the roof, then they, they lower him down, right? <clears throat> so, but before Jesus, I'm not going to read the whole verse, but before Jesus heals the man, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this infuriates the scribes sitting there who say, who can forgive sins but God? Now, Jesus, he senses what they're saying and says, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man, again, has authority on heaven and or has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Now, first of note is Jesus, again, is referencing himself as the Son of Man in the divine sense. 
Second, Jesus doesn't correct the scribes when he says, who can forgive sins but God? He doesn't go, no, 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 I, you know, I can forgive sins because God said I could or something like that. He's, rather, he doubles down and says for a fact that he is divine because he says the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, something only that God can do. So we have Jesus doing, not only making claims by using the Son of Man title, but also doing things that only God can do in the, fair, in the, in the, in the style of the narrative because, you know, they narrative makes points in different ways they're sitting there they're kind of juxtaposing i'm the son of man and like how can you forgive sins only god can forgive sins and he says i have all authority it's been you know so he's jesus is sitting there doing things that only god can do and this is another way that jesus makes claims of his own divinity now as we talked about before jesus's disciples call him Lord, and Lord at times can be a direct reference to the, the divine name of God, Yahweh. And we walk, that's what we walk through, okay? Now, for time's sake, I can't go into all these, but I did want to draw on one specific passage, and that's John 20, 26 to 29. Now, this takes place post-resurrection, and Jesus appears to his disciples, and I quote, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then when he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hands and place them in my side, do not, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me yet have believed. So here we have Thomas like indisputably calling Jesus God. Not only is he calling him Lord, but for all the people that want an explicit G-O-D to be on there, he says that too, right? But here's the thing is, is that Jesus doesn't rebuke him when he says this. Okay, Jesus doesn't say, Thomas, that's blasphemy. Don't say that I'm not God. Don't do that. You know, as a, as a good rabbi, if you will, would have. He doesn't sit there and dispute what Thomas said. Rather, he says that people who believe in him are blessed. So surely, if Jesus didn't think he was God, he would, not, he would have condemned Thomas, and other times that this happens, he would have condemned his followers when they called him or referred to him as God, but he doesn't. He doesn't do that. Now, this is kind of, as I mentioned earlier, um, this, is, this is important. Um, now, there's, there's other places, like I said, outside the Gospels that it refers to. Um, but really, when we look at it and we, we understand it, one, we do have direct, you know, John 1, 1, where explicitly says it, and then Thomas explicitly says it. But these other ideas and understanding of what Lord is and the Son of Man it's really, it's kind of indisputable to sit there and say that Jesus didn't claim divinity. All right. Now, since we know Jesus claims divinity, we must ask ourselves, well, what are we to do with that, right? Um, what do we do with a man claiming to be God? Now, as I mentioned before, people try to just brush off Jesus as merely a good moral teacher. Um, but we can't do that. This attempt has been made 
really a lot of times you see it in the broader culture, secular culture today, um, a lot of times you'll see it with like the people who are identify as spiritual yet not religious. They'll be like, well, he was a good moral teacher and so was Buddha and all this other stuff. Um, now, this argument we're going to talk about real quick um, has kind of existed in some form or another throughout history, but was probably made most famous by C.S. Lewis. This is often called his trilemma or his lunatic liar lord argument. Okay, And uh, he, I think, does it very well, lines us out in uh, mere Christianity. So I'm just going to go ahead and read C.S. Lewis's uh, um excerpt from your Christianity concerning this idea of liar, lunatic, Lord. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus, which is I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a good, or a man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says that he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely as it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. So you see, you can't have your cake and eat it too with Jesus. You can't just sit there and applaud, you know, the radical calls to love and kindness that he expounds on and deny his dominion and authority. You can't say he's a great moral teacher and yet not submit your life and your whole self to him as Lord and God. Indeed, even if one tried to follow the moral teachings of Jesus apart from his divinity, they would fail. They would fail because it is only his divinity, his Holy Spirit that saves us. And it's only him that can change our heart and allow us to follow him in the radical way of loving that Jesus did. So any questions? That's all I have for right now. Anything on all that? So, but, uh, okay. Well, if there's no questions, we'll go ahead and pray and close out. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We thank you for this day. We just thank you that you reveal yourself as God in your word. And also, we thank you that we, being confronted with those truths, that we have to make a decision. We have to choose how to, to take what you've said. And just like with confronted with all the facts of, that we've talked about before and what we've talked about today, Lord, we can't, you can't just be a, merely a good human teacher, but you are either a, you're either God or you're not. And the thing is, is that you claim to be, and all the evidences that we've laid out before, 
show us that you are God. Show us that you claim to be God. And Lord, just help us in that understanding to to submit ourselves and our lives to you. And we just thank you for our time together, and we thank you for all these classes. Uh, We hope, I pray that they have been edifying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.